This is the You Need to Know podcast, putting the spotlight on black businesses you need to know that are serving our community. Now, here's your host, Tommy B. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the You Need to Know podcast. I'm Tommy B, your host. And uh, you know that You Need to Know podcast, we talk to interesting people, you know, the folks you should know in business, uh, community, opinion, uh, influencers, all the people you should know. You can find our podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast. Tune in and just look for You Need to Know. We're also on castropolis.net. You'll find the podcast along with other great podcasts. And we stream our episodes every Monday at 7 a.m. through the week. Uh, but you can also check the castropolis.net uh, schedule and you'll see where we are from week to week. And um, man, I'm honored to have the next guest. And and, and I'm going to set this up. Uh, he comes from the Motown. I'm going to say the promotions machine. Is that fair enough, Jesus? <laughs> Sure. Absolutely. Uh, in the Absolutely. 70s, been around, man, and worked with A&M, uh, owned by the legendary Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss, um, worked with Hollywood Records, part of the Disney Company. For 24 years, it's been the Jesus Garber Company. And, and I've got to say, one of the good guys, one of the good promotions, genuine people in the business, man. And, and I'm sitting back you know, because I'm I'm reminiscing about another life I had as I'm watching The Black Godfather on Netflix, and lo and behold, it's Jesus. <laughs> so oh he pops on the screen, <laughs> and The Black Godfather, of course, is the story of media mogul uh, Clarence Savant, and 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 just you know, when when you see someone from the business who's done great things like Jesus. Uh, you want to reach out to him because lately it's been more about, hey, man, happy birthday. How you doing? How's the family? We don't necessarily talk business uh, on a regular basis, but lots of things going on in the business. And I wanted to reach out to him and get his insight. Hey, Suze, how you doing, man? Tommy B, I'm great. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Man, I am I am uh, you know pleased and honored when I reached out and he immediately said, what time? How can I be here? What can I do? So. You know, Jesus, uh, this is about you, man. I, I do want to find out. We've known each other for years, uh, but one of the questions I've never asked you is, how did you get in this business? How did you get in into promotions? Well, I got into the business when I was 11, sweeping a record shop in Los Angeles. It was called Jeff's Records, and it was owned by Jeff Thomas Jr., who was one of the original Little Rock Nine. Wow. And... And I, so I was sweeping the record shop, and then I ended up working behind the counter, and then I ended up uh, being the lunchtime disc jockey at my high school all three years. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Gerald Busby, who uh, went through the ranks at Stax and A&M in Columbia and Atlantic and Casablanca, and then became Motown president mm-hmm. uh, after Mr. Gordon. After Mr. Gordy sold, he introduced me to Clarence Avon back then when I was in high school. And I worked at Clarence Avon uh, FM radio station here in L.A. He was the first black owner of an FM station in Los Angeles. It was called uh, originally KTYM, and he changed it to KAGB, 103.9 FM. And I did a weekend show. Wow. And then I met a gentleman by by the name of Skip Miller, who also was president of Motown Ooh. eventually. <laughs> and he, he came to the station one day and said, well, I like 
what you're doing. So what's your plans? I said, I don't know, but I'm just having fun. He said, I like that answer. And it turned out to be uh, right out of high school. I went to work for Motown for 11 years. You know, and, and one of the amazing things you've mentioned, Gerald Busby, um, Clarence Avant, Skip Miller, all of these guys are like legacy members, like Hall of Fame music guys. So, you know, what a way to come up through the business, man. And you were working for Motown in the 70s. What was it like, the the atmosphere, the climate, man, working for Gordy and working for Motown in the 70s? You know, 70s was an interesting period. Uh, the early 70s, uh, Motown didn't have, you know, a lot of huge hits. I mean, I remember it, uh, Smokey had his first uh, uh, solo single after he left the Miracles, Baby uh, Come Close in 74. Mm-hmm. And Stevie had fulfilling first finale. That was, you know, creeping that's still playing now. Uh, higher ground, all that came in in that period, but it was the late 70s when Rick James came along that really started the ball rolling into the early 80s of Motown, that they had like a magical period where they had hit after hit after hit, I mean, from the Commodores, Lionel Richie Solo, uh, the Mary Jane Girls, the Dad's Band, the Bards, I mean, it was just one hit after another. So that period was so magical because they did so well. And actually, Lionel's second single, second album, actually, uh, Can't Slow Down, sold over 10 million copies. So it was a special period. You know what makes special periods in companies when they are hot Mm -hmm. and they have hit after hit after hit? That means your job as a promotion person is easier because the nice radio people will return your call and you're not begging <laughs> to try to get a record play because you got hit. You got hits. You got hits. And it was, man. Not to mention Tina Marie and, and all the other offshoots. When you look at those artists who had, you know, people who were bubbling under in their camps. So you had a you had a ton of music back then. Um, oh, now, my God. Oh, yes, go ahead. You're, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yep. So, so I not only from a Motown standpoint, you also had the opportunity uh, to work with A&M. How was it during the A&M years working? You know, I love Motown so much that I actually gave Skip Miller a seven week notice that I was leaving. Wow. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that I was leaving because, you know, Motown was one of those companies. You had a credit card, an American Express card, and once you put it down, you uh, at a Hertz rent-a-car or an uh, uh, airline or a hotel, once the person saw that it said Motown Record Corporation, you would literally have to be sitting back for at least five or ten minutes and letting that person express their love for Motown artists and mm. songs. And you're just sitting back glowing and in in, in basking in the love, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've never experienced no other company to have that kind of reaction but A&M was was uh magic it was Camelot again being at the right place at the right time I mean the first single that we worked in I worked with a gentleman by the name of Steph Johnson who mm-hmm. had a very long career and he lives now in the Atlanta area and yep. a great great promotion guy he uh he's the one who hired me away and I went over because it was time to grow and the it was great but we had 
jeans, set them free. And we had, uh, uh, and then we had, um, uh, then we had Jesse Johnson. We mm. had, uh, what else did we have? We had Atlantic Star. Uh, so we had some good artists, but then it, that was in 85. In 86, they told me that uh, I can do the marketing plan for an artist that had two previous albums. And uh, the first album had sold 150,000, second 120. Mm-hmm. And this one, they were thinking about their dropping the artist. I listened to it and I said, are you crazy? This is a smash. Well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Anyway, I ended up doing the marketing plan for a song called What Have You Done For Me Lately <laughs> by Janet Jackson. And sure enough, it sold 10 million copies. Yeah. Uh, and I was so thrilled to be a part of it. But then I also had an opportunity when I was at Motown, Barry White was trying to hire me over to come over to his new label. But uh, Stevie Wonder's lawyer, jo- Johanna Bogota, I kind of consulted with him and he said, no, don't do it. If you're going to leave, go to a company. So I did. But then I found out Barry was going through a real tough financial time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, I actually, when I went to him, I said, how would you like to come over here? And he did. So it brought him all the way back. Wow. And I was very, very happy to have reached out to someone that incredibly important to the music business to uh, have a second chance. And uh, so, you know, we had Vesta Williams, we had Shine mm. Wilson, we wow. had, you know, we even gave Herb Alpert a number one song called Diamonds mm-hmm. uh, on the on the urban side. So Amazing song. There was a, in, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then, you know, A&M was so smart. Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss, I have to tell you, salt of the earth. Mm. These guys were so amazing. I mean, Let's put it this way. They did so many things that they didn't want any credit for. I mean, like uh, when Don Cornelius moved to uh, California, he didn't have a place to uh, take Soul Train, and they let him record it on the soundstage at A&M on Saturday and Sunday mm-hmm. for free. Yeah, yeah. The NAACP Image Awards for the first 10 years were completely financed by Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss and wow. they never wanted any credit or acknowledgement. Wow. So these guys, they were really, really good. And one thing I never experienced at Motown and as much as I loved them was profit sharing and mm-hmm. bonuses and, and uh, just that kind of stuff. It was a different type of management style. And I really appreciate it because they were good to everybody from the people that clean the place at night to the security people, all the way up to the president. Everybody mm-hmm. was shown huge appreciation and you felt like you were a part of a family and people really performed for them. So, I mean, A&M was so incredibly special. Incredibly I, I, special. I don't want to leave A&M for a minute because I do think it's pretty incredible for you to give that Janet opportunity a chance Um, because it was at a point where a lot of people were questioning whether or not she would make it. You're absolutely, you, you saw the two albums not do well. And if not for the jam and Lewis formula, do you think it would have 
done as well? Here's the thing. Jam and Lewis created art with Janet, and that was a masterpiece. The problem is that A&M primarily is a pop company, and mm -hmm. the person who was the head of A&R uh, for Urban basically didn't communicate well with the other executives within the company. Mm -hmm. So I became, because I was the marketing guy, I became the advocate for that project. And I even put my job on the line because I said, look, we're going to put her out on the road for three weeks. I'm going to go with her, a bodyguard. We're going to have limos with phones. We're going to put her in five-star hotels. Wow. And fly first class, the three of us. And they told me I was crazy and i said why why would you say that they said well first of all we only do that for our two most important artists which is brian adams and sting mm. and they said what guarantees the head of marketing said what guarantees do you give me i said well i just came over here from motown i have some points of references that i know how this feels i know stevie did about 10 million on his album Rick James' uh, high, uh, street songs in 81 with Super Freak and Give It To Me Baby and Ghetto Life and Fire and Desire, that did over $3 million. Uh, Lionel Richie, you know, Can't Slow Down, that did over 10 So I know how they feel, <laughs> I know, but that's not good enough. Mm. What guarantees? And I said, look, here's what you could do. Let me try what I'm doing. If it doesn't work, when we come back off the tour, we could just shake hands, I'll leave the lot, and see you later. Thanks mm, for the chance. Wow. When we came when we came back in three weeks, it was a million units already. Mm. And my point of reference to them was when I went out on the road with Javarge in February of eighty three with all this love and I like it, mm -hmm. I was out on the road with them and Bobby Nunn for the entire month of February. Mm. And we had only sold about eighty thousand uh, albums. When we came back that album was gold. Wow which is 500,000 units. So mm -hmm. it was exciting. It was exciting. The, the fans reacted and they loved it and they showed their appreciation and they went out to the record shops, mm -hmm. which most people don't know about now, the young people. <laughs> yeah. Another, <laughs> and bought the music. Another world. supported their artists. Yeah, mm -hmm. man. Supported yeah. the artists. But yes. And so let me say one thing in, in finishing up about Janet mm -hmm. was on a on and about March 15th of this year, 2019, I get a call from Janet and she says, look, uh, I'm finally getting inducted into the, now just imagine I did the marketing plan in 86, all 1986, mm -hmm. all this took place then, but fast forward to March of 2019, she calls me up. She says, look, I'm finally getting inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in Brooklyn. Uh, at the Barclays Center. It's on March 29th. I bought a table for 10 and I have a seat for you. Can you make it? I said, I'll be there. Wow. Amazing. Just amazing. And the rest is history me. after 86. <laughs> go ahead, man. And she thanked me. She thanked me on stage. Hmm. So you can actually go, you can go to YouTube and, and see Janet Jackson induction speech. Unfortunately, um, HBO edited her, her speech mm -hmm. because she didn't perform, but it was her uh, her protest to HBO for airing that uh, documentary about her brother. Understood. Understood. Question. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to, you mentioned, you mentioned a group and, and I should have mentioned this before I left Motown. 
Um, and yeah. you know, I'm a fan of music first. Uh, I was a big fan yeah. of, of the group switch back in the day. Uh, were you there when switch? Call, yeah. I call your name. Yep. I call your name. Uh, what they'll never be. They'll never be. Yes. Right. Um, they were a great group. They were, they were a great group. I, I mean, Bobby DeBarge was such an incredible talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy, his brother, uh, Eddie Flewellen, Jody, Greg Williams, and, uh, 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 Philip Ingram, James Ingram's brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, re- really, really, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Really nice guy. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, they didn't keep the hits coming, and that happened after Bobby got very sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, and unfortunately passed away. Got it. Got what it. a voice! I mean, what just, a voice! What I, a voice! I will say, and I, I, I talk to people because people remember DeBarge more so then they remember switch. And I tell people that switch was probably one of the most underrated bands in that era during that time. And, uh, you know, definitely with the, uh, with the recent, uh, Bobby DeBarge story, uh, on TV one, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it actually, uh, gave the band the kind of credit they needed, but at least it put the, it put the band in this, in the spotlight. So, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Which was one of my favorite groups. They were really, really good guys. Very talented. It's just that, you know, when there is a voice that is the prominent voice of that group, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes um, it becomes dangerous if something happens to it. Because mm-hmm. look at the Commodores with Lionel Richie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, they still are together in the tour, but. They have not had any hits together anymore. No, after Lionel left, it was, you know, maybe one or two, maybe Night Shift. Um, he was on. He, I think he was on that. I, I worked Night Shift at Motown. Yeah, no, that that was great. You know, it's kind of like, uh, um, I just like when artists or groups share the lead vocals. I think that mm-hmm. that's just it makes it more interesting. You know, I agree. Yeah, my favorite all time Commodore song was a song that every member of the group shared in the lead vocals, which was Sweet Love. Mm, great song. Excellent song. Great song. Yes. Yes. But Motown, special, special, special. I mean, they had artists like Bobby DeFarge. And, and actually, in the early 70s, they had a, a, a young lady that was kind of like they were grooming her, like Tina Marie, Tata Vega. Mm-hmm. She had a song called yeah. Give It Up For Love. That was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, they had to find their way and they finally found their way. And I'm just glad that I was there when they did mm-hmm. and, and the hits, the hits were flowing and it was beautiful. And, uh, you know, people treat you based on your wins. It's just like, uh, whether it's the golden state warriors or, <laughs> the, you, know, mm. you know, another team or whether it's football, whatever, whoever is the winner. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're part of that winning team, people respond to that. Yeah, good point. And I'm, and I'm so grateful that I was a part of winning teams. Yeah, that's an excellent analogy. And, and you know, one, one other thing I do want to mention, I know you spent some time with Hollywood um, Records. How, how was that experience, uh, Hollywood? Well, I'll tell you, after all the Motown and the A&M, and actually I went to BMG. 
mm-hmm. they had a startup called Zoo Entertainment. I yep. had the privilege of giving Phyllis Hyman, Phyllis Hyman. her first number one. Yeah. Yep. First number one song, Prime of My Life. Don't mm-hmm. want to change the world. Just want to be your girl. And then I left, but uh, look, Disney, I have to tell you, uh, it's like a college campus in Burbank. I'm not talking about the Disneyland or Disney World. I'm talking about the world headquarters in Burbank. Walking around that campus, you know, the first thing I said to myself, well, this is a place I would like to retire from. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's such an amazing atmosphere. And they really, really know how to maximize all their different businesses into one. You talk about vertical integration. Mm-hmm. They know how to do it better than anybody, especially merchandising. But uh, again, the timing was off in terms of I work black music and we had done a deal with Maurice Starr, who was the uh, the guy who discovered New Edition mm-hmm. and New Kids on the Block. And yep. We had a, a, a a joint venture called Boston International Records, and he had a young group. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, we never got any product from them. So I was working, uh, you know, stuff like Low Down, Dirty Shame, and, uh, you know, there would be an R&B track or two from those projects, and they would either be released through Jive Records in conjunction uh, with another label or Arista, and I would be like a support group. So I didn't have a staff. Uh, I even was so hungry to work that I actually rolled up my sleeves and, and helped the company with uh, the Lion King, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, I called some stations to help them to go to number one with uh, uh, Circle of Life. And, and then I got a chance to work uh, the Vanessa Williams song, Pocahontas. Mm-hmm from that movie that was great but after two years i realized that i really was no more than i looked at myself in the mirror and said what are you doing here it's great but what are you doing and they said oh we love you we want you to we want to pick up your option for another two years and i said well wait a minute what am i doing here Mm -hmm. and in essence i became the go-to person or the hookup for disney world and disneyland passes for black radio in america and, yeah. and that was not a career move you no, know no so in 1995 uh the charts billboard and r&r mm-hmm. uh decided to split the format and r&b became uh hip-hop intensive mm-hmm. and then they created another genre called urban adult which was songs that are ballads mm-hmm. And they only had like 20, 27 stations on the panel. And I just said, huh, that's something I can do. Mm-hmm. And I was the first person to address that format. And uh, Disney became my first client. And I've been doing that now since 95. And thank God I'm still doing it. So it's it's really interesting. But the business, the music business has changed so much. And that And that's what I want to ask you about. If you... If you take a look at your your past and the amazing exposure you've had to the business, I mean, we're talking about significant hits that changed black music. Where are we right now? Well, here's, in, in, here's the thing. In the 60s, 
when I was a little kid or whatever in the seventies, when I was a teenager and becoming a young man, what, what I can say is different for the consumer today is one, people were proud to have a record collection mm-hmm. because it represented art. That's why they call artists artists because they create art. Mm-hmm. And with respect to art, it's something you are proud of that you have a copy of. It's, if you're looking at paintings, you have a Picasso, Renoir, Cezanne, whatever it is. Jason Pollock, and you have maybe not the original, but you got a copy of it mm-hmm. that is worth the money, and you appreciate it. And that's how we used to appreciate music. So the thing that has changed is the experience, mm-hmm. because people used to go into record shops, mm-hmm. and when they bought that hit, whether it was a Motown hit in the '60s or whatever, you you remember what record shop you went to. You remember how the weather was. You remember whether you had a crush on somebody. You mm-hmm. it was special, and it's encapsulated in the deepest uh, memory part of your brain, which is called the hippocampus, mm-hmm. and that's the long-term memory. And it's just like you can close your eyes and relive it. Today, we totally devalued music. Uh, it's disposable. Uh, and like I said, these people could remember when they bought the record or what kind of day it was and how old they were and what kind of cars were on the street. They remember all that. What was in the news? Today, if anybody that's listening can ever tell you, I remember I just bought the, that new record, that new song. I actually downloaded it, but I can't remember when I pushed the buy button. Wow. Yeah. That's I mean, a different that's experience. so sterile. Yeah. yeah, the experience is the experience is incomplete. You can't read the liner notes. You don't know who wrote it, produced it, arranged it, who's playing what instrument. Those things are no longer important to people. And then the real sad part that I find is as our superstar artists are passing away, like the Michael Jacksons and the Princes and the George Michaels, and the James Browns and the Barry Whites and the Rick James and Tina Marie's and Phyllis Hyman's and Vesta Williams. We're not really replacing those kind of mega superstars. Mm. I mean, yes, we do have a Jan Jackson. We do have a Beyonce, uh, you know, but how many of those are really at that level that those people were? Mm. They're not. And we're, are we, are we cultivating them? No. I mean, if you look at it right now, if you're an artist and you just get a distribution deal on your single, and maybe they'll take your album too, but if your single doesn't sell enough or stream enough, which is the, the optimum word today, mm-hmm. and streaming to me, ladies and gentlemen, is no more than renting. Mm-hmm. So you're just, we're creating, we've created successfully more listeners on planet earth than we ever had, but we've also have less customers. Mm. And as Mr. Avon, Clarence Avon said, life is about one thing numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a situation where I'm afraid to be honest with you, because we've been having a, such a wonderful, uh, roaring, uh, economy. Thank God. 
for the Obama administration who saved us from a depression. Mm-hmm. And we still are benefiting from President Obama's uh, policies today that the uh, marketplace is still going up, but it can't go up forever. So if there is a correction mm-hmm. and we have no record shops yeah. and people's wallets get tight. Guess what's going first? Things that they don't need. Yeah. Yeah. Sub- subscription and streaming services are are vulnerable because people need to have a place to live and a place to they got to feed their families and all that. And I'm not being Debbie Downer. I'm just being realistic with the fact that we are not being respectful of these writers and producers and arrangers and artists who bear their soul and they want to touch people's lives either uh, with a, a romantic experience or a joyful one or a sad one, whichever it is, if it makes a real connection, it could last a hundred years. Yeah. Good point. Well, l- let me ask you about your, your interactions, man. You know, I remember um, one of the reasons why we can do this interview is we always had good interactions, you and I. Um, how, yes. how do your interactions differ in the business now versus the interactions back then? Well, you know what? I still have friends from 30, 40 years ago. Um, so it's, it's still about relationships. Relationships are paramount. And it's about how do you preserve those relationships. And I will say I am a relationship person. Uh, I have, I still stay in touch with radio people that have not been able to play a record for me in 40 years. And I take their calls and Mm -hmm. some of them have gone through hard times or health issues. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm so thankful that I'm still able to help them either financially or with some encouragement or giving them access to have communication with me, which is no big deal for me, but Mm. I make time for people like that because I I never forgot when they were in a position to help me, they helped me. I guess for me, it's like, if you help me, you're, you're my friend for life, not for uh, like, and you know, today I will say more than ever, everything is synonymous with the Janet Jackson first single. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. it's, 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 people are moving so fast and, and the, the distraction level that we have and uh, the fact that we're on our devices all the time and we're actually not necessarily more productive. Mm-hmm. We're actually working harder for less money. Yeah. So true. All the time. All the time, always so, on. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Richard Branson has a book called the uh, The Virgin Way, and he had really some great, interesting things in it. But I really liked one particular thing. He said there was this woman CEO that at five o'clock on Fridays she switched her phone to where if you called her, said thank you for your call, I will return your call, email, or text on Monday. But right now I'm going to my other full-time job, which is my family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good which way to is, look at Which it. is yeah. important. It is important. Which is important. Yeah, because your children, your wife, your husband, they need that time. And, you know, if you're just 
your, your nose is right to that little screen and you know, life is going to go on and you should not uh, waste it completely on that. Actually, uh, uh, Damon Johns had a really great little article I read on LinkedIn. Uh, he said, look, look, when you wake up in the morning, take care of you and what's important to you before you pick up your smartphone and start looking through your emails and what's going on so that you do have time to accomplish and think about the things you want to get done that day versus getting sucked into, you know, you got this email, you got that email, and you're not really thinking about yourself like stretching, exercising, and having a good breakfast, and going for a walk, and walk your dog, or talk to your kids, or whatever. That's so important. That actually is more valuable, and uh, I really appreciate Damon for saying that. That was really great. Excellent, excellent. Man, going going forward, Jesus, um, what do you think the role of the record label will be to artists. Incredibly important. And I tell you why. Hmm. Here's what here's here's the here's the uh the bottom line we go back to numbers. Mm-hmm. Because of technology, uh artists, writers, they can actually purchase equipment and record a complete album within their garage, home, whatever. And that's great, and it could be finished and mixed and mastered. But the problem is, every one of them lacks the financial capacity to market their product. Mm. And you have, you have some. There's no way to skip radio promotion. Terrestrial radio, incredibly important. Still has, based on research, quantitatively the largest audience at one time that is looking for new music mm-hmm. uh i love the internet but it's infinitely fragmented people come and go and in terms of loyalty you got people in traffic in major cities that are listening to those music intensive stations and you get the maximum exposure so how do you get there you got to have people to work those stations and present the facts that the the song is developing, it's getting more airplay, it's going up the chart, the artist is on tour, all the things that are essential. Then you need the streaming marketing person. You need your publicist. You need a video marketing person. So those four things can, in essence, run you easily $150,000, dollars if the record is successful and ultimately reaches number one. Mm-hmm. And that is the fine line where the average person that says, I can go to tune for and speedy baby and I can do this and that. Well, look at it this way. Spotify has about 500 submissions a day globally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just announced about a week ago that they're no longer accepting independent labels, uh, submissions. Wow. Cause of the volume. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what does what role does the major label play? It's easy. They're a bank. They got money. They understand the business. They know how to maximize it. They know how to uh, uh, get the return. They have the relationships to if you do a dis- uh, publishing deal in addition to a distribution or uh, uh, a recording contract or a joint venture. They know how to put your songs in products. Uh, for commercials. They know how to put your songs in 
film. Mm -hmm. uh, they know how to put your songs on television shows. I mean, look, a song that's played on a television show one time on a, say, for instance, like on the uh, on a national television show with a major network, it's like $140,000 publishing money that has to be paid. Wow. One time. Mm -hmm. If your if your song is in a movie, nine times out of ten, if it's a, if it's a previous song that had it went to number one and all that, and they really want that song, they pay a million dollars for that song. Amazing. Mm. Yeah, it is. But the record companies are first in line to present because they understand the business. So an outsider can record and make. Look, I've had superstar artists. Who will say, oh, I just did this and I got 20, I got all these hits. And all. If you don't have those budgets, you're wasting your time. Mm. Look, there's nothing organic but food. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a business. It's a, that is it's a, good a real saying. business, Tommy. Wow. Yeah, Tommy, it's a real business. I don't mean to discourage people, but, you know, the music business is not going to surrender their position. I mean, it's just like terrestrial radio. I mean, there's a lot of big uh, radio chains that are selling out cumuluses, you know, divesting, and CBS got out, but somebody else comes in. Mm -hmm. And they, it's not going away, even though they feel they can't handle it or it's not coming in, the numbers are not coming in. You know what? Somebody else says, well, I'll give it a try because even though the internet is coming in, when they start having internet radio channels on new cars, guess what? Mm -hmm. It's the major broadcast companies that will have first right to put their stations in those radios. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. But you know, one thing that I will say that has not changed from the 50s to right now in terms of the music business is this, that only a few songs get to the very top. That has not changed. Mm. Yeah. Only a few will break through, like they say, the cream rises to the top, mm -hmm. Tommy. Yep. That, it's still true today. Only the real hits break through to the top and stay up there for a long, long time. And the rest are basically treading water, hoping hoping to build a story to either continue to progress up the chart or they end up having to uh, call it a day and hopefully they can come back with something else. Yeah, good point. What's the future look like? What do you? How would you uh, describe the future of the business? Let's say, well, the future, the future of the business. I think it's bright. I think it's going to be exciting. And I really do think it's going to be the independent uh, writers and producers that have the pulse of the street. Uh, I mean, look, think about it. 40 years ago, Rapper's Delight, everyone discounted uh, hip-hop as a fad. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's still here. And, and guess what? Hip-hop on pop radio is pop radio. Mm -hmm. It's not rock and roll. I mean, even though people are holding on to rock and roll, but there's no new rock and roll. There's no new alternatives. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you have mainstream white America embracing uh, hip hop as their music, it's going to be around for a much longer time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, the audience gets fickle. That's why hip hop has evolved. You know, uh, I was reading that uh, Jermaine Dupree said that uh, hip hop, the new direction that it's heading is into stripper music. You know, it's like they keep, it keeps reinventing itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. But at some point, I think, you know, there'll, there are these young people that are saying, well, where did they get those beats from? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like uh, Dr. Dre, uh, um, G Thing Baby with, uh, you know, that was Johnny Guitar Watson's music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sample. you know, that that actually has helped the music business because kids are really doing a lot of research and trying to find out where did that track come from? What song did they borrow to make those beats so cool and hip? And I mean, look, James Brown's probably one of the most sampled recording artists of all time mm-hmm. with his music. Yep. And it makes his catalog and him still relevant today, even though he's passed away. But his contribution to the music business still is benefiting because of hip hop is still using some of his uh, tracks. True enough. That drum, <laughs> the funky drummers, man. Funky drummers yeah, forever. Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus Garber, man, thank you so much for taking the time. Jesus Garber. Uh, the Garber Company. How can people? How can people get in touch with you? Is is there a way? Um, is is yes. uh, how, how do you offer your services Email. to folks? Okay, well, it's Jesus at the Jesus Garber Company dot com. Mm-hmm. That's my email. Uh, if someone has music or uh, they would like to get my advice on whether or not their songs fit or what genre music they would fit, I'd be more than happy to. Listen to it because uh, how hard is it to click and open up a file and listen to some music? And I love music, but I am very honest. I don't uh, mislead people. I'm just very direct. Yes, this will work, or you need a little remix, or you need to get some things done, or you your music is dated and it's not fresh. But I will tell you this for your listeners, mm-hmm. one of the best ways you know, the music business is not about research and development like most most Fortune 500 companies are. Mm-hmm. They're basically about, a, you know, it's subjective. It's whatever the A&R guy and the, and the artist say, and that's the first song. And then they go out and say, well, what does the radio guy say? What does the retailer say? But honestly, if a person is out there listening to you and saying, yo, man, I'm here at home kicking it, but I don't know if this is good enough. Well. I would say if you've got a hip-hop song or a urban AC song, go to Apple iTunes mm-hmm. and click on their top 10 most played songs or purchase and A-B it with your song and mm-hmm. see whether or not you say, well, this, this is what people are actually buying. Yeah. This is what they're paying for. Is my song good enough? Is it the same at the same level? And if you're honest with yourself, then you could say to yourself, well, I'm, I got a chance. And if you say, no, my, my music doesn't sound anything like that because it gives you a pulse of what the consumer 
is buying today. Amazing advice, Jesus Garber. Man, thank you so much for spending spending um, this priceless time <laughs> with the You Need to Know podcast, man. Uh, thank you so much, Jesus. I really appreciate you getting back and, and, and getting on the show, man. Um, you know, my, my honor and pleasure. Are you kidding? It, you <laughs> know, it's very important that a lot of people don't do, and that is you have to slow down and give back. And even if it's a little bit of advice to people that are up and coming, if it inspires them to do something good with their talent and they want to share it, my attitude is, why not? Excellent. Good stuff. Man, again, thank you. The You Need to Know podcast. Um, we talk to people like Jesus, leaders in the in the business world, community, innovators, an influencer, a pioneer. That's all you, man. <laughs> You've done it all. And uh, simply put the people you need to know. You can check us out on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, TuneIn Radio. Uh, just ask for the You Need to Know podcast. Also on Instagram, at You Need to Know, and also streaming on castropolis.net. Remember, listen, subscribe, share us. Thank you so much. Jesus, man. Thank you so much again. And uh, I'm definitely going to make sure your information is on the podcast page. And, uh, man, continue success. Just keep doing it. Wow. <laughs> thank, thank you for having me. And I hope that uh, your listeners enjoyed this. And uh, if you enjoyed it, tell a friend to come back to this channel. Absolutely. You know what I tell them, Jesus? If they don't, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all good. There you go. <laughs> And that means you're still having a good time. Absolutely. All the time. Hey, man, thank you so much. You've been listening to the You Need to Know podcast, putting the spotlight on black businesses you need to know that are serving our community. Subscribe by going to castropolis.net. That's castropolis.net. Also, search You Need to Know podcast on SoundCloud. Interested in becoming a spotlight business on the You Need to Know podcast? Click on the Spotlight My Business link at the podcast page. Thanks for listening.